Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Now to a man who calls himself a radical evangelist. He is definitely not the kind of clean-cut conservative picture most of us have of evangelists. David Pierce started his work on a barge near Amsterdam's Red Light District, kicking off a Bible study to reach alienated young people. He uses music, art and other creative means to present Jesus in an authentic, clear and relevant way. David has taken this message of Jesus to some of the darkest corners of society, closed Islamic countries, terrorist clubs, squatter villages, brothels, junkie joints. Why? David says there are more than one billion young people in a generation connected by the web and global entertainment industry which is being destroyed by the world's lies. In the end, they revert to a life of anger, hopelessness and despair. And he's actually done something about it all. David started Steiger International. David Pierce, welcome to Open House. Thank you. It's great to be with you. It's a great privilege for you to join us. Thank you so much, David. You call this whole dynamic the secularised global youth culture with people aged between 17 and 35. So many people fit into this group around the world. Paint us a picture of what this culture is like. Well, the best way to describe it is that I, uh, I heard about a, a businessman who wanted to, uh, his son to see the world. And so they went to different cities. They went to Tokyo. They went to Berlin. They went to New York. I'm not sure if they went to Sydney. But what, what, uh, what he discovered is that in these different cities, they were watching the same movies, playing the same video games, playing the same music. And so you have this, this group of, of uh, young people who, are, who have this, this uh, com- commonality because of the Internet, because of globalization. And because of that, they are, they are, you can reach this group of people all over the world that didn't exist before. And, and one thing they have in common is that they are disenfranchised with the church. They think it's just a, a dead, empty religion from the past. Uh, they don't understand who the real Jesus is. Many of them have a false picture of who Jesus is. And so th- what I have discovered is that when you, can, when you can present to them who Jesus really is, many, many people uh, from, this, from this group want to give their life to him. You speak with so many of them, you connect with so many of them. Why do you think this generation is so disillusioned with the church? Well, I, one example I can give of that is when we were living, as you said, we started in Amsterdam, and from my apartment you could see a beautiful church. A lot of tourists would go there to see it uh, from all over the world because it was a you know, very famous, beautiful church. And this church was often closed on Sunday, and it was surrounded by houses of prostitution. And so people had this idea, oh, yeah, the church, is, it's just this dead, empty tradition that has nothing to do with my life. Or if I would go up to somebody in Amsterdam and say, hello, I'm a Christian, uh, immediately there would be a big wall between me and that person. And they'd, they'd go, oh, yeah, Christians, they're the ones that are... You know, have a they're they're four nuclear weapons, or they're the ones killing each other in Belfast. And so the the real challenge that we have is to show them who Jesus really is. I was in Beirut, Lebanon, and uh, I was being you know, my wife and I were there, and we were being driven around by these two university age uh, young people, and and the girl in the car was actually crying, and she was saying, "Please, you need to you need to." 
tell people that show people that Jesus is about love and not hate. I mean, we had a very interesting experience in Beirut. We were um, performing with my band, and one of the ways that we reach this group is using music and art, because this is the language of this demographic. In this presentation, using our music and art, we show how Jesus died and rose from the dead. We, we show this in kind of a modern way, using modern ways of doing that. And it's like Paul, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, that he preached Christ and him crucified so that people would not be convinced by human wisdom, but by God's power. And so I believe that when you bring the cross out into the secular uh, marketplace in a way that people understand, God's power comes. And so we were doing this in, the, in, in a square in Beirut. And just as we were, getting, you know, we were getting ready to do our second concert, and we had seen God move amazingly, we saw we were giving out, ran out of Bibles, praying with all these kids, these young people, and as we were getting ready to start, a riot broke out, and people were having fist fights in the audience. Wow. And uh, they actually, we actually, you know, people, we actually had to get in our tour bus and escape, because they're calling people up from different parts of the city to come with guns. But the thing that's remarkable about it is that the people who were attacking us was the church. It was, oh. and the Muslims were defending us. There were fistfights going on in the audience, and the Muslims were actually having fistfights against the church who was there to attack us. How bizarre. And in all my years of ministry, I never thought that I would see that. You must have contemplated how bizarre it is that with some churches, they can be so Jesus-less. Mm-hmm. that you have to go out and kind of start from scratch. Because for a lot of, I mean, especially in that part of the world, uh, the church is a, to say you're a Christian there is a political statement. It's not, so that's when you're there, you have to say you're a follower of Jesus because uh, because the Christians there have their own militias. And, they're, and, they, and so you can't say I'm here as a Christian because that's a political statement. But what you need to explain is that you're, you're a follower of Jesus. But that's not just true in the Middle East. That's, I think that's true in a lot of the world today, is that people have this false idea about who Jesus is, and if you thought what they did about Jesus, you would reject them as well. The challenge we have is to get them to see the real Jesus, because when they see the real Jesus, they want to give their life to him. David, when did you realize that this particular group of people needed help. You say God pulled you out of a comfortable life to take this on. Well, when I was in, like, I was in Amsterdam, that's where I met my wife and my two sons were born and raised. And there is a whole, you know, I was doing a lot of uh, traditional evangelistic stuff in the city and we were seeing some, some fruit from it. But I was, I felt like God was challenging me to really reach the people who were impacting the city, the people who were the, the, the trendsetters, the, uh, the radicals. And so I felt like we were supposed to start, start something to reach this radical scene. And back in those, when we started in the, in the 80s, it was, there was the whole anarchy scene was very big and the whole punk culture was very big. And so we started a church on a barge behind Central Station, which Steiger 14, that, which means Pier 14. That's where the name of our mission came from. And we were on this bridge with my band inviting people to our boat, to our Bible study. 
And just before we were uh, about to finish our last song, a group of anarchists came. One of them took a beer bottle and smashed it over the drums. And when he did that, he cut his hand, and he was holding this, this broken bottle up to my face, and another one spit in my face. And so I thought, I need to say something. So I said, how many of you in Amsterdam love Satan? And they're all going, yeah, we love Satan. And they're shouting, and it caused a huge crowd of people to gather. And I said, well, let me tell you who I love. I love the one who created the world. And he did not create a world for people to be, uh, for there to be uh, sickness and, and suffering. And he wanted us to have good things, but we turned away from God. And because of that, there's disease and war and, and pain has come into the world. But this God was not just an impersonal life force, but he was a good father who really cares about us. And so he sent Jesus. And when Jesus came, he didn't live in a, in a five-star hotel or drive around in a Mercedes. But Jesus came and he cared for the people on the street. He healed the sick and he fed the hungry. And because Jesus came back to life, this death sentence in my life can be broken. And I was saying that with this guy holding this broken bottle up to my face. Oh. You know, and, and I have to tell you that when I was speaking, I, I never felt so much of God's anointing on my words. It was like I could feel electricity coming out of my mouth. But the result of it was they attacked us. They tried to beat up my band. They tried to throw our equipment in the canals. Uh, a policeman came and he told me to drive away. And I'm going, I'm thinking, drive away. I have, I have three flat tires because they had slashed the tires in our van. And they said, I don't know, just drive. And so I'm driving like three kilometers an hour. People are just laughing at me on the street. Was I going to believe that Jesus was powerful? Was I going to trust him? And two weeks later, those guys who attacked us came to our boat. And the reason they came where we, are, where we have our Bible studies, and the reason they came was because they could, fe they could feel the power in my words, but they didn't come to repent. They came to, to attack us, so they came with weapons. And so they came onto our, onto our barge, and uh, you can imagine how we felt because we, we had done what Jesus asked us to do. We didn't back down, and here they were coming onto our, onto our barge with these weapons, and uh, you know, the whole idea was to stop us from what, you know, what we were doing. And again, our, my band played, and again I spoke, and I talked about Thomas and how Thomas said, I, I'm not going to believe unless I can see the nail prints in Jesus' hand or in his side. And I said to these, all these guys that came on to our barge, I said, Jesus is here right now if you want to see him. And the presence of God fell just like he did on that bridge, but this time it was completely different. They physically could not move. They were frozen. I went up to the, one of the guys who's like their leader and he was shaking like a leaf because the presence of the Holy Spirit was so strong. And soon after that, a church was raised up reaching the anarchists in Amsterdam because Jesus is powerful and he cares about these young people. There's power. You mentioned your band a number of times. No longer music, it's called. Yeah. What connection is there between the message of Jesus and music? Why do you use music? Okay, Jesus always communicated in the language of the people he was talking to. 
So if he talked to fishermen, he'd say, uh, I want to make you fishers of men. When he talked to shepherds, he'd say, I'm the good shepherd who cares for the flock. When he talked to farmers, he talked about planting seeds in the soil. He talked about everything to do with farming. And so, but if I go to Amsterdam, if I go to Sydney, and I go, hello, did you know that Jesus was the good shepherd? You know, you're not going to understand what I mean, because there's not a lot of sheep running around Sydney. And so, what is the cultural equivalent today? And I would say, especially with this global youth culture, it's music and art. This is their language. And so, the the way that, that I believe that Jesus would bring the kingdom of God to this demographic today would be using their language. And the, the language today of this demographic is music and art. And so that's why we use, use, uh, use a band. But it's not just a band. It's a, it's a whole uh, theatrical production which shows in a, in a clear, modern way how Jesus died and rose from the dead. I'm sure that's powerful with the message of Jesus. As I said before, you've been to some really challenging places. You've been to Islamic countries terrorist clubs, anarchy festivals, junkie joints, brothels. Do you ever get afraid when you're there? God gives you what you need when you're there. I mean, we've had some pretty crazy situations. Uh, uh, We were in southeast Turkey, and uh, we were the guy who organized our our concert there is the son of, of a Muslim cleric who gave his life to Jesus. And so he organized for us to play at this city in southeast Turkey where there's only a handful of believers, and then when we get there, we find out that we're going to be the opening band for the Ramadan festival. Wow. And so oh. if you know anything about uh, the Ramadan, it's the month-long fast that, that uh, Muslims uh, have. And we were going to be the opening band for the Ramadan festivities, and, it, and the mayor was there. I actually had a police escort that took me to the venue. The guy who organized our concert, he was like, you can't talk about Jesus at the Ramadan festival. It's, you know, it's dangerous. I was with my sons because both of my sons are, are with me in the band, and, and we're praying together. As I was praying, I, I was reminded of this concert we had done a couple days before that and under the shadow of this big mosque. I was uh, fearful, and I, I was praying, and I, and I felt like God said to me, David, look at that mosque. And so I looked at it. And I felt like God said to me, that is just a big, dead, empty tomb. You serve a God who is alive. I am alive. Why are you impressed with a big, dead, empty tomb? We made a decision, our band, my sons, we made a decision that we were not going to deny Jesus at the Ramadan festival. In our concert, we talked about Jesus, which is like crazy. We talked about Jesus, but it was remarkable what happened. Uh, more than a hundred people signed up for a fan club, which is a Turkish Bible correspondence course. And the mayor wanted her picture taken with me and her son. I gave her son a DVD and how he could know Jesus. It was a miracle. I mean, unbelievable miracle. It's the word I was going to use, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we've seen, we played in Iraq. We were in some, some city squares there where I don't know if, if the gospel's ever been proclaimed publicly before, and we saw such responses, such enormous responses. And one thing I'm convinced of is that if God calls you somewhere, there are no closed doors for him, and we need to really believe in who Jesus is and who he represents. You mentioned your sons before, part of the band. Your family's yeah. very much part of this work. Yeah. How challenging has that been as a dad 
exposing your kids to some pretty scary places and situations? No, that's a very good question because in the early days, I could be comforted by the fact that, you know, my, my kids were safely back at home with Jody, my wife, and that made it a lot easier. And then as they, you know, became young men and they, I, I didn't want them to feel like they had to be like me. I wanted them to be free to do whatever God wanted them to do. And when they both said that they wanted to work with me, I, I have to admit, I was kind of, first I struggled with it, but I felt like God was saying, do you want to rob them of the amazing life that there is in following me in this way? A lot of people that are involved in ministry or whatever that means for you, um, that the next test comes with your kids. Are you going to trust God with your kids? This was a whole other level of faith that I had to step into to trust God with my kids. If I love my kids, I'm going to want them to be uh, in the center of God's will. And the center, if the center of God's will is for them to be with me in Iraq, I mean, that's cool. I mean, I, was, I can remember fathers talking about doing cool things with their sons, you know, like going fishing with them and stuff like that. But can I tell you one of the most amazing things that you can do with your sons is to go to Iraq and stand up in squares in Iraq and preach the gospel and see God come in power, telling you that's one of the coolest things you could do with your sons. Stunning. David, of all the challenging and sometimes scary places you've been with the message of Jesus, is there one particular person that stands out for you who has embraced him, perhaps surprisingly, that you could relate to us that particular story? Okay, well, I mean, I could give you many, but... Uh, one example I can give you is we were in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and uh, Sao Paulo is a city of 20 million people. It's a, a very intense, crazy urban situation there, and we were, at that time, we were playing in a lot of gothic clubs. We were seeing people respond, but they would never come to a church, and so we thought, where are we going to bring people if they want to know more about Jesus? And so there was a guy who ran a male strip club, and he said, why don't you use my club? And people can come there if they want to know more about Jesus. <laughs> and so we thought, well, that's a neutral venue. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we said to all these guys in the, from these different Gothic clubs in Sao Paulo, we said, if you want to know more about Jesus, you can come to the Tribe House. The Tribe House is the name of this male strip club. And so the guy who runs this, this male strip club, his name is Boy. He looks kind of like uh, Danny DeVito. He's about 45 years old, and he wears army fatigues. And so we're in this strip club, and there's this runway. Instead of the, the strippers, my band is there, and my band is playing worship music. And there are people from all the gothic clubs from Sao Paulo there, Madam Satan, Deja Vu, different uh, gothic clubs. So there's a guy down in his office, and it's his job to organize strippers. And so he's on the phone, and he said, when I, when I was on the phone, I heard your music, and when I heard your music, a power came into my office, and the mirror on the wall exploded. And he said, come, you have to see, you have to see. So he took me down into his office. It looked like a bomb had gone off. There was broken glass everywhere, and he said, it's not just the glass that's breaking, but something is breaking inside of me. And this tough guy covered in tattoos wept like a baby because he so felt the power of the Holy Spirit. He so saw that Jesus was real. We were in San Diego, Chile, and we were playing in a, in a famous club there. And when they discovered our message, 
They uh, started uh, swearing at us and giving us the finger. They put a pornographic video on the television behind the bar. But we were showing how Jesus died and rose from the dead, and they started you know, getting very aggressive. And there's a guy there who's uh, in a non-Christian band. He's not a believer in Jesus. And he's doing our sound. And so we're doing this show, and before my translator could translate, he started translating. So he started translating into Spanish and, and passionately telling people there that they need to, to know Jesus. And my translator's upset. He's going, what are you doing? You know, why did you invite me to be your translator if you have someone else? And so I go up to the guy doing the sound. His name's Koke, and I'm going, Koke, what are you doing? And he said, I don't know. He said, when you started speaking, I started sweating and shaking, and the words were forced out of my mouth. Wow. So here's a guy, he's not even a believer in Jesus, and the power of God is so strong, he said, if I did not translate your preaching, I would vomit. And so he translated my preaching, gave his life to Jesus, and he was at our school that we have in Germany with his family. He's got a Christian family now, and he's going back to San Diego, and he wants to as a Steiger missionary. I mean, these are just a couple oh, examples. What incredible stories. Can I ask you this finally? Yeah. Simply. Yes. What would you say to the people around Australia and beyond listening to you right now about this Jesus that's been so central to your life? Well, I would say that the most natural thing in the world is to have a relationship with God. We are valuable. I would say that we are made in the image of God. What that means is that the injustice and the pain and the bad things that have happened to us matter. And the reason they matter is because we were created by a passionate God, and He cares about us. He cares about our suffering. And Jesus came, He came to suffer the consequences of the bad things that I have done. And He took that upon Himself. That's what the cross is all about. And because Jesus was not just another guru, but because Jesus really did come from God, and because He came back to life, that death sentence over my life can be broken, and I can be free. I would say to anyone who's listening to this, if you're wondering what the purpose of life is, I'm here to tell you that this is the reason that you're put on this earth. And if you are listening to this and you're a follower of Jesus, I would say that you need to spend time in his presence. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, God rewards those who seek him with a desperate heart. And I think that if you want to see a change in Australia, you need to seek God desperately. Cry out to Jesus and say, I want to know you better. I want to know you more. And I say, Jesus, what are these good works that you've created me for? Let me have the destiny that you have chosen for my life. David Pierce, it's been a great privilege speaking with you and hearing about this amazing work from Steiger International. And we'll post the details of your website up on our Open House community Facebook page. Thank you so much indeed for joining us on Open House. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.